Miami. Alright, hello and welcome to Dynamite Neddy. I'm your guest host here, Liam Gallagher. Joining us as always, we've got Mr. Michael McCormick. Alright. And Mr. Andy Mack. <laughs> 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 so Liam, first time guest hosting. Um, can you tell us what's your favourite retro video game? Super Mario Sunshine! Ah, <laughs> <laughs> nice pick, nice pick. Very underrated, Jim, Liam. Very underrated, that. Um, right, Liam, get out of my house. Um, <laughs> no, where's no? <laughs> oh, they're, they're fair look. Um, I think one of them's pro-mask and one of them's anti-mask. Oh, fuck. Don't, don't ask how uh, we were breaking social distancing rules by having a dodgy voice Liam Gallagher in my flat. I think I... Think I I think that impression I can maybe do for five seconds and name it up. He ruined your throat for the rest of the episode. <laughs> no, he wobbled off into like fucking Scouse or something or Welsh or something like that in the middle of But um, Mick Clockerty, Mick McCormick, Andy Mack, we're back in the fucking bunker. Konnichiwa, lads. What he's been up to, what he's been playing. Andy, I just nicked your catchphrase. Oh, no, no worries, don't worry about that, man. Half of Japan use it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> oh. It's true, he did steal it for the nation of Japan. Aye, no, what? Um, oh, aye, your bro, Aero, friend of the show, he gave me a shot of his PlayStation 4, and um, I've just, I've not really got into it yet, I've been quite busy this week, but um, shame you free, man. Right, because I want to hear your thoughts, but I also want you to be as vague as possible yeah, and maybe yeah. not mention any story details. No, I don't want to spoil it. I don't have, listen, man, I've not even, I've, do you know, I'm still in the first bit, but I'm not going to say what it is, but I'm in the first bit. Fighting system, slightly different, and there's a few mechanics in there today that I'm not crazy about, but I've not played enough yet to... Uh, I, I think I'm a wee bit of a purist like yourself, and I was, I was kind of maybe hoping, look, the old ones aren't perfect, I know, but... I'm married to them, and the more they change, the more unhappy I'm going to be. You worry they're going to dumb it down a bit, make it more accessible? I don't think I'm spoiling it by saying that we're my favourite bits, isn't it? And uh, it's a mechanic, oh, but it's a disaster, man. QTs? No, they're in it, they're in it. Uh, fucking Virtua Fighter battle system. Oh, They've not used like a current Virtua Fighter or nothing like that? Nah, man. Because there's, there's a new Virtua Fighter coming out. I've watched some kind of videos about this and it's a, yeah, they've got a different battle system. It's more sort of, more easy to kind of button bash your way through it, which seems like it'd be a bit disappointing. Well, like Yakuza. Ah, okay. I mean, it's how Sega make them these days, isn't it? Ah, well, I don't think it's Sega. I think it was a Kickstarter by Yu Suzuki. Um, he got his own team together. I think that's maybe why they never got rights to the Virtua Fighter engine. Ah, okay. This time around. I see, it shows it sh- certain places, man, right? Certain places it shows that the budget wasn't great um, for this game. But, uh, so <laughs> did, did they not raise multiple millions of pounds from Kickstarter as well? Incredibly no. successful campaign. I think about that was they raised multiple millions of yens, which was only ah. about 200 quid. Um, <laughs> Shoestring budget. <laughs> but do you know what? Do you know what, lads? I'll tell you one thing about it. It's fucking mere shame you. It's shame you, man. They couldn't get it in any Dreamcast if they tried. Like, everybody's still dead. Um, and possessed by like, uh, a stoned goblin. Uh, <laughs> oh, so they've got a weird voice acting. Aye, translations pushing. Oh, aye. Oh, aye, weird, oh, weird voice acting there, man. Aye. Oh, they, aye, oh, that's they, what oh, you want. 
all the old voice actors are back together. All the old oriental music and that is there. <laughs> uh, the atmosphere is brilliant, man. It's all there. It's all there, man. But I, I, the battle system, I suppose, it might just be me. I've no just take yet, but you know me, man. I, it's old habits die hard. To be honest, I didn't... I would tell a lie, actually, if I said I didn't enjoy the fights. The fights only why I was there. I was there because I I wanted to see what happened next, ultimately, I think. So um, I, I can see myself pushing through with three. You just enjoyed him being sort of absorbed in the tedium of a you know, small Japanese city. In the day-to-day life, day-to-day goings-on. See, it's going to be weird if it's more quest-like, because Shenmue... One, I mean, we've covered this in the podcast a million times. It's very much about the fucking micro. It's about fucking, I don't know, learning this tune, that learning your way about it. It is like that. It's it's very much like that, man. Which is that's what I'm saying. It's mere, it's mere shame you. It, you. You've got to spend days and days and days in the one place and get into a routine and all that. But I can't wait to okay. see some H- HD gangsters. Aye, I can't wait to see some HD gangsters, man. I heard in this one because it's no. It's no in-house by Sega. They can take a few more risks. You actually do get to see Landy's uh, cock. Oh, um, yes. I think that happens in, uh, towards the end, so that'll be good. 15 you years in the making. I've never thought about... Uh, I've never thought about Landy's cock in my life um, until about 20 seconds ago, thank you. Neither have the audience. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's one's for free. Aye. Well, welcome, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> I've been playing now the eagle-eared listener. If you're a if you're an absolute lorehead an anorak, I remember a way back in an episode called the Notorious Errol, where I said <laughs> I'd try to get into Baldur's Gate too, but for some reason I don't know if I was burnt out in the series because I've been playing it too much, but just wasn't clicking. But it's clicking now. Let me tell you, fucking went back to it about a week ago and have hardly stopped fucking playing it. Brilliant. What does Baldur's Gate 2 bring to the table that's not on the first one? Well, Baldur's Gate 2, when they sat down to make it, they made like a checklist of everything they thought they'd done successful. Because, I mean, Baldur's Gate was the first game that they made with the Infinity Engine, which uh, they used They used to go on and make uh, Icewind Dale, uh, Planescape Torment, your your favourite, Mick. Yep. So they, they wanted to see, you know, what, what, what had succeeded and what had failed. They felt a lot of the backgrounds in Baldur's Gate 1. You were just kind of walking about a field over and over again. So they wanted every location to feel memorable and unique. So, so far, Baldur's Gate 2 is a lot... The map is smaller, but it's denser. There's a lot more packed in. I'm still playing Chapter 2, and I've been playing... You're talking over 20 hours, I think, on Chapter 2. This is probably a failing of it. I'm, I'm rambling a wee bit here, but the problem or it might be a, a strength is the second chapter, you need to raise 20,000 gold. So they go right, use our fucking adventurers off you go and fucking raise it. Do your thing. Aye. And then there's hundreds of side quests you can do. So if you're a certain type of player like me I raised that 20,000 gold 10 hours ago um, <laughs> but I, I keep I'll, I'll be in the middle of doing one thing and then I'll bump into an interesting NPC and hear their story and I'll go fuck I'm going to need to do that quest now and all <laughs> um, I, I just it's like Steam pops up and says would you recommend Baldur's Gate 2 to a friend and I think do you know what I bet if I was on Smack I would be enjoying it but would I recommend it to a friend <laughs> <laughs> I, I, like, I like that I think that's saying a, a good um 
it's a particular like a Western RPG with loads of side quests and stuff like that where you you want to do them, you don't want to just plough through the story, you want to kind of explore all these wee things. And also, I, I like the, the thing you said about the maps as well. Like, I think in these games, these kind of isometric games, if you do it right, like some of the isometric maps are pretty lovely looking, like some pure nice art and you feel like you're in this cool world, man. Builders Gate 1 was a lot of just grass and trees and that, but if it's more inventive locations, I'm quite into that. I, I mean, it is. Like, you, you can see why... Baldur's Gate 2 gets called one of the best of these things. Uh, people people don't talk about one that much. One's very much mince and totties. It's, you go from a low-level adventurer to a, a kind of mid-level adventurer and walk about a lot of fields and kill a lot of rats. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. By 2, you get into the kind of higher-level, higher-concept stuff in some places as well. So we yes. spoke about uh, Night's Old Republic last time, but... Friend of the show, Johnny Branchfield. Do you know what, Andy? I think that's probably what, what has got me onto this. I think that is probably what gave me the itch for it again was playing Kotor. But I sorry, what were you gonna say? Oh no, I was just gonna get a quick comparison. Like obviously you've mentioned before that these games are sort of come from the same heart or something. So it was just to see um, if there's any comparisons between Baldur's Gate 2 and Kotor. Um I would imagine that Kotor's a lot easier. It's a bit more accessible, I would uh, say. I can't exactly put my finger on why, like, because it's still the same kind of numbers and dice rolling and that going on underneath, but it's maybe got a bit of a, a more appealing sort of veneer to it. I mean, they were both literally published by the same people. Bioware did Baldur's Gate and Knights of the Old Republic. That's right, I so they did. You could see it as an evolution. I think that, as McCormick was saying, part of it is duty, accessibility. I think if you see... You know, these funny-looking wee characters and the big giant backgrounds and the fucking sheer amount of text that you've got to read. Something that's more or less fully voice-acted and, you know, this nice fucking easy-to-look-at third-person style. I mean, KOTOR's fucking undeniably a fucking masterpiece. I'm loving the graphical style, man. I'm looking at some pictures right now and gaping moys are plenty, man. There's, um, like a, there's this boss I'm looking at right now and I don't know if you've got to it or... If we've encountered it, but it seems to be like a massive crang with hundreds of eyes, like a big eye cyclops eye in the middle, and then hundreds. Oh, that's a, 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 a beholder. A beholder eye. Um, I have fought a beholder. Um, they are they are hardcore. They are um, they are like interplanar, so they they go between all these different planes of existence. But their thing is that they're fucking hardcore racists. <laughs> like <laughs> they they hate everything that isn't a beholder. Fuck so they just go bush and attack every cunt and they can turn you into stone in that. Probably because they're that easy to hate because they're fucking ugly <laughs> as fuck, man. Look, that's a sin. <laughs> I feel sorry it's for It's a bit of a joke as well, like beauty's in the eye of the beholder. Yeah, ah, I think so. Right, I, was, yeah, I like, that. I like that. But they were in they were in the old uh, they're straight out your old uh, Dungeons and Dragons monster manuals. They've been they've been kicking about since the tabletop. Aye, that's like for the back for the nineteen eighties. <laughs> Aye. They've got teeth coming out of like, the side of their mouth. Oh, that's crazy, man. Go and look at a beholder, man. That's cool. This picture I've got a beholder is cracking, man. That's Taking a mental note that we're fighting a beholder in a future D&D campaign. Aye. 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 Recommend it. Oh. Um, I pretty unexpected and interesting ending. Nearly finished that uh, the other game I was talking about, Jimmy and the Pulsated Mass. I think I'm in the kind of end game. You know the kind of the bit where in, in every JRPG where it's like 
you've got access to the whole world now, but you need to go back and do some side quests, kind of like Chrono Trigger, they had a Chrono Trigger where like, you know, you can go to the last boss, but you can do all these other side quests around the world about that kind of bit. I get some of the ultimate weapons, get your levels looking a wee bit sharper before you take uh, on that last dungeon. And I've heard it's got a very sort of like poignant Earthbound-esque ending, <laughs> so I'm looking forward to shedding a few tears over that one. I've downloaded um, Sea of Thieves, I've not played it yet, but um, I've got a wee sort of gaming session um, organised with uh, some of our mates, including the aforementioned Johnny, um, so I'm looking forward to sailing the high seas with, uh, with them. Makes a change for the old lockdown Zoom calls, a wee lockdown MMORPG. Mermaid speed, I think. Well, lockdown VR chat, man, that's the future. Oh, I'd dug a few joints and a few beers, man. Uh, I think we watched, what was it? When Tails Gets Bored? What was it called again? We watched a dramatic reading of infamous webcomic Tails Gets Trolled. Oh, <laughs> that was pretty funny, man, I. <laughs> No, it was pretty good. Um, and then I think as the night sort of no, we watched that last. We watched something else before. Just a boys' game, I think. A bit. Of... We were we were <laughs> sat and uh, Andy was. Uh, what do you call that? We call is it Agumon or something like that from Digimon. Oh, Digimon. Uh, Digimon guy, uh, I call him. So I was I was sat in a, a room with. Digimon guy watching a piece of social realist cinema for the seventies. It was it was quite strange. <laughs> <laughs> and then I think there was a second night as well where McCormick turned up in the room of rain as yeah. we go. And we me and Andy were both pretty intoxicated watching Radiohead videos in the, the room of rain. I was a uh, I was nineties uh, video game icon cool spot. Yeah, that was my, that was, that was my right. avatar. Really well, right. Become quite attached to him. Cool spot's a good avatar. Yeah, before Andy joined, I was quite drunk and I was walking around the um, uh, the public chat rooms trying to like, tell everyone about the history of cool spot, anyone that would listen. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I didn't make very many friends. It's hard for them to understand us sometimes. <laughs> we, we, and, uh, we and Cocker too were in there trying to get some avatars, man. These two yanks showed up, man. One was a massive... Huge man, I think it was a Marvel film or something, and uh, it was fine. We were all talking away, having a nice wee boiler and that. And then he offered to show me his cock. And I, <laughs> <laughs> and I fucking ran like fuck. Yeah, I I I that's why I was standing up here. I don't trust him too. <laughs> I, I can vouch for that. <laughs> it's like the old internet that we used to hang about in in the in the late nineties, man. It's the Wild West, anything goes. Oh, uh, yeah, like. I'll tell you a particularly unpleasant one, which could also also fucking be a wee bit of a content warning, actually, for any listener that's like, oh, I'll, I want to check out this virtual world. I was on it, and I went into Avatar, one of the Avatar rooms where you pick... You get different skins that you wear as your character, so you can be Donald Duck and things like this, for instance. I went into one, and it was called, like, the new Avatar World 3 or something like that, so I went, right, okay. So have a look at this. And it was full of Russian kids screaming the N-word. Good lord. Oh, for fuck's sake, man. That's, that's just to get a reaction, man. That's, I've noticed that on the internet. People will say the N word just to get a fucking reaction. And it's not funny, it's not cool. It's, it's, not the, it's, it's the shadow of 4chan fucking wearing its ugly head again. It's not cool. It's the most offensive thing you could say, and that's just to get a reaction, man. It's kind of like when people say the C word in pubs and Wales, like me, where I fucking made a mistake of thinking, oh, it's alright to say it in Scotland, so. In the way, a Welsh pub, I, called, I was like, oh, every cunt does it. And the barman just turned on the music off and said, one more of those, and, and you're out. <laughs> I, don't think saying, I don't think cunts on par with the N-word. I would say, I, I cunt it up wherever I go. Aye. 
Maybe things are changing, man. It's Christianity, Dickies. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly Raziel, the decaying empire. <laughs> right, will we will we get into? It was a deep cut um, for any lore heads out there. Of, of course, a wonderful legacy of Cain. <laughs> right, will we get started on our games for this week? Absolutely. Right, McCormick. Why did you pick full throttle? For myself, I I did kind of mention uh, last week that I felt a bit bad for giving Mick a, a shiter of a <laughs> point-and-click adventure in Torrance Passage. Um, so yeah, I wanted to redeem myself by giving him a, another point-and-click, which is considered a bit of a, a classic. Um, you can't really go wrong with LucasArts, in my opinion. Um, played plenty of classic LucasArts games. We're all big fans of Day of the Tentacle. Um, I'm a big fan of uh, the Monkey Island series. Mick, Mick is as well. So yeah, I figured um, I knew he hadn't played Full Throttle. I figured I'd, um, I'd see what he thought of that one. Um, for me, this was a, a, an earlier PC gaming memory, although not um, from my own house, but it was actually my Uncle Jerry that had this one. He, oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was, um, he'd a kind of um, IBM PC, sort of one of the first ones with a CD-ROM drive, and I think there was like, a collection of um, the LucasArts games. Um, and it was some of the kind of newer ones that I had played when I was younger so I would go to his house and play things like that uh, Sam and Max another cool game called Afterlife which I've been kind of debating giving to someone on the show that's maybe a strategy game but um, oh. pretty interesting one as well um, but I full throttle kind of stood out to me I just remembered fucking being pretty engrossed in the world and the art style and stuff like that so I thought it'd be cool to revisit by the way off the bat, I will say, you don't need to feel bad about Torrance Passage. There's, there's stuff to like in Torrance Passage, right? right? I, I can't write it off. Um, but in terms of LucasArts games... Oh, butternuts, that's just a butternuts. <laughs> of, course, of course, the butternuts. I had to get Andy to talk about the butternuts for a little bit. I felt that I owed it to him. Yeah, I think, I think, I think this podcast owed it to the world. Um, <laughs> podcast. It wasn't what you deserved, but it was what you needed. Um, <laughs> so, as you're saying, we are probably both, uh, maybe may fair to say, fanboys at this point of uh, uh, LucasArts and their catalogue of games. And I've fucked about with a lot of them. You know, many of which we've talked about on this programme before. Uh, the Fate of Atlantis, uh, Maniac yep. Mansion, for instance. We, we named Rap Day of the Tentacle and Grim Fandango and things like that all the time. No called them um, greatly. So, and I've, I've even played some of the fucking weirdo ones, like Loom, although I never made it that far. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of Loom. It's, they tried something new, and for me, the mechanic doesn't really work. I, I don't like it. But aye, this this one is a, has always been a blind spot for me. I don't know if it's just because the whole kind of imagery around bikers, you know, this kind of American 20th <laughs> century mythology that's built up around them aye. as the last outlaws and stuff like that. Sounds never really... I never really bought into it. I didn't like Sons of Anarchy. I thought it was stupid. Like I, I never really, <laughs> I, I never really bought into bikers as cool guys. So m- maybe this is one of the reasons why I was never in a hurry to check this out. You just kind of think of them there as like um, sort of forty-year-olds going through a midlife crisis and buying Harley Davidson, even though that they're um, upper middle class and that. <laughs> I mean, I, I find them interesting from a sociological point of view. Hunter S. Thompson, and I, this is a diversion for fucking full throttle. Before we get into the video game, um, just on the <laughs> subject of bikers in general, Hunter S. Thompson's book on the Hell's Angels is fucking cracker. Fantastic <laughs> bit of journalism. But aye, so you put up full throttle, and for the word go, right for the credits, you're seeing the name fucking Tim Schafer. 
Right. Which is just like, it's, do you know, but I mean, particularly by this point, because after Full Throttle even went on today, like Psychonauts, man, Psychonauts is so fucking Amazing. good. So I, he's just one of their names in gaming where, do you know how sometimes if you like this and you like that, you probably like this other thing? Or if you you like a certain type of game, the, the, the same person's name will pop up again and again. Yeah. Tim Schafer's one of them for me. So seeing his name, is one of the people. As well. <laughs> <laughs> he's a he's a deep cut for Neddy. He's back in episode one. Yeah, I... um, this was the first one that Tim Schafer had actually helmed. He'd worked as a I think a programmer or a designer for I think some of the Monkey Island games, some of the early LucasArts ones. But this was the first one where like this is going to be like your your project. You can direct this one. Ah, yeah, I think he was lead on it, wasn't he? Right. Um, and then the... I'm still on the fucking opening credits. The other fucking <laughs> thing is when it, it flashed up who, who the voice talent was, and it was all fucking... Uh, Mark Hamill's in this. Uh, oh, fucking... What's up, guys? Voices the villain as per. Just so many good ones. Half the fucking voice cast of Futurama are in it. Fucking... Oh, big time, man. Um, Morris LaMarche, you know the guy that voices fucking uh, The Brain from Pinky and the Brain? That's the one that stuck out to me. That's the one that I, I don't recognise right away. Like, Holy shit, brain. I mean, he's, he's got a handful of voices that he can do, and he always does his... <laughs> He always does his funny Orson Welles impression, and there is a guy who sounds like has the brain kind of slash Orson Welles like, um, <laughs> oh, as a no, character man. in this. So this is a point and click adventure game. You play as a biker, and the setting is no fucking your your typical fair. You're no a fucking Hell's Angel trying to fucking I don't know break out of a small town jail in America or something like that. You're actually in a weird fucking post apocalyptic future. Where right. flying cars have taken over everything, all the motors flying, all that. But the fucking the last fucking group of cunts who are keeping it real and keeping their wheels on the ground are the bikers. These bike See, gangs. There's a kind of sources vary on this because I think Tim Schafer in an interview said that it's not actually meant to be post-apocalypse. It's just like a kind of world where there's like maybe slightly less vegetation. It's a bit more kind of uh, bit more kind of deserty. Oh, it's got a Mad Max. It's got a Mad Max look to it, man, for sure. It has a wee bit yeah. of a Mad Max look. You even get excited, punks, and that to post up a photo of punks with mad hair and all that shit. Aye, it's got that vibe, but they they never reference like an actual apocalypse that's happened. Although the one thing kind of runs counter that is there's a wee song that plays, the kind of country western song. Aye, that you can overhear, and it, it's a, a wee guy talking about how it's easier to get a woman because the apocalypse happened. So <laughs> I don't really know who to believe. Can kind of talk about like that. I guess the setting and the presentation does that kind of did that kind of appeal to you for the the gecko? It did. Um, I was pleasantly surprised. Um, I figured it was maybe going to be a wee bit uh, gritty. But luckily there was still some of that fucking trademark humour in there. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of jokes fucking off the bat. I mean, LucasArts, it's no... Generally for me, it's no stuff that makes you fucking piss yourself. You'd, you'd not be laughing out loud at a lot yeah. of it. It's it's more just kind of charming, do you know what I mean? So a lot of that going on after the bat, after fucking opening couple of cutscenes. The first thing in terms of actual gameplay mechanics, so rather than having verbs at the bottom of the... You know, the bottom of the screen, you get this kind of word bank in a lot of these games where yeah. look at, talk to, pick up, open, close, blah, blah, blah. You have something that I believe, this might have been the first shin to do it, but it, it appeared in The Curse of Monkey Island, which is Monkey Island 3. It was like a skull, 
and then you would click on its eyes and that was look at and then there was a talk to but streamlined is what I'm trying to say I, I like the fact that you can kick things kick is a verb you can usually kick doors or um, like um, bins <laughs> that sort of thing it doesn't always have a purpose but it's quite funny too there's quite a lot you have to kick there was a thing where the very start of the game yeah, I think you have to get information at the barman. Uh, that scene just kind of stuck with me. Like that was the kind of one joke that I remembered from playing this like years and years ago. Was um, like you're talking to the barman, you're getting nowhere, and then you can use the I think your hand icon. And the barman's got a kind of bell ring, sort of nose nose ring piercing thing. And it's like, do you know what I think would look good on the bar? Pulls it and rams this guy's face in it, and it goes your face. Yeah, <laughs> that this was so. This was my. I'd, I'd gone through the whole fucking dialogue tree and I was like, I'm getting nowhere with this cunt. I'd looked around the whole place, picked up everything I could pick up and that. So I was just trying different icons. Um, it wouldn't kick them. And I was like, all right, what happens if I use a hand icon on them? And then as, as Mick says, fucking boom, you slam his head in the bar. I was like, <laughs> ah, Jesus Christ. Um, so the way that the main character... Who, what, uh, and it's been over a, a week since we've actually played our games. Um, <laughs> I, I can't even remember his name. Um, I think his name's Ben. But it is Ben. Um, yeah. The the way Ben kind of interacts with the world was kind of different to my player expectations of how he would interact <laughs> with the world, which I, I found quite interesting. Because, like, um, I think for most... Um LucasArts games your protagonist is a bit of a weed a bit of a loser <laughs> like Guy Wars Streetwood's a bit of a down in his luck guy so is most of the cast of um, Daily Tentacle <laughs> like but yeah Ben's a bit of a kind of no-nonsense guy <laughs> like he's not afraid to kind of uh, rough people up in that although he's not violent or dangerous but you know he's like he wouldn't mess with him Oh, yeah, he can... Aye, but he's no fucking... He's not going to take shit either and he'll, he'll throw a punch when he's got it Um <laughs> Most LucasArts games, if you had to put the barman's head in the bar with his fucking nose ring, you would probably have to put a magnet under it or something like that, do you know what I mean? <laughs> um, the first part is very kind of basic in terms of puzzles. You just need to find a couple of different pieces for Ben's bike so that he can get back on the road again. Um, I mean, I'm not going to go through the whole plot. I don't, I don't think that's going to particularly interest anybody. But sort of midway through the game, once you've been... Doing your kind of usual LucasArts fair of picking up various items and using them with various other items and completing dialogue trees with people. You get to this long section of... It's like a poor man's road rash almost. Yeah. <laughs> which involves you driving down a long stretch of highway, doing some puzzles on that, and then also you have to drive off onto this kind of strip road and defeat various different bikers in biker combat in order to get a series of successively more powerful weapons to eventually take down a specific type of guy who's... You need something from his bike or whatever. That bit grated on me a wee bit. I didn't find it... I found it really fun at first, and then I was like, oh, really? I need to beat, like, ten people? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like... Yeah, the, me the mechanics kind of, like, make that part sort of fall down for me. Like, it, it's a cool concept, you know, kind of this sort of bike uh, combat section but yeah I, I didn't feel that I was um, kind of using much skill to um, to actually win these battles or that I remember even thinking at the time like if they had combined this game with the gameplay of Road Rash it would it'd be amazing like 
But yeah, it was just a kind of dumbed down mini game. But I appreciate them kind of bringing something a bit of new to the table, mixing up the old adventure game formula with that. But I thought there was kind of potential there. Yeah, I, I mean, I like I like that they tried. Unfortunately, they just didn't land really. Um, you just move your bike towards their bike and then click, 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 and that attacks. Yeah. If it had been Mel like something like Road Rash mechanically, I would have been like, fucking, give me a mare in this section, like, make it longer. Yeah, I think the, um, the, the kind of mere traditional puzzles are probably the um, the better bits of the game in the, in the kind of story sections. Um, there's another minigame towards the end, um, the fucking destruction to everyone, which is just awful. It's bad. <laughs> like, I mean, the, the, a lot of those parts are only great, but just to go back to the bike bit, for starters, Andy, do so had you played this at Mixus or something like that when you were younger? Because that bit obviously stuck out to you. Uh, well, I had a quick look at the game. Uh, ah, okay. And I know, but the graphical style, I've seen it before. I couldn't make up my mind if it was Polygons or if it was FMV. But there's a game called Batman Returns on the Sega CD or the Mega CD, and it uses the same um, sort of technique and it looks similar. But I, I was the same. I thought that game was um, Polygons too. But you know what? It's earned me to decide a kind of tricks. F-Zero a wee bit isn't it then aye it's using like you mean wizardry pure, purely in terms of the, the road on that bit you're, you mean the, the driving yeah. sequence aye. aye I mean graphically in general I, because I should point out that I played the double fine I think it's Tim Schafer's studio, actual yeah. studio and he's since done um, enhanced editions I, I guess is the is what people call them now you know remakes or yeah. um, of Day of the Tentacle Full Throttle. Did they do uh, Grim Fandango as well, maybe? Yeah, there's a remaster of Grim Fandango. I've played um, it. I wasn't playing it in its original graphical style. But they, when you put it on, because there is actually quite um, a nice option in the, the options menu, funnily enough, where you can change it to your original graphic style, which a lot of these Monkey Island um, remastered and things like that let you do. And the graphical style was very reminiscent of something like Day of the Tentacle. It probably looked a lot more like a... A hand-drawn cartoon back in the day. And now it looks a wee bit kind of blocky, but still fucking nice. It looks great. I think I quite liked flicking um, between the two versions because I was playing the um, the remastered version as well. And like the remastered one is a pretty faithful remaster. I would say like they don't take much liberties with the like what's going on in the background. It's not like a, a different art style. It's just kind of like bit higher resolution, a bit more kind of hand-drawn looking. It's kind of like, you know, what you remembered it, where you're, where you're most hitting specs on, um, ah. rather than rather than actually, you know, trying to completely change it up and put a new new spin on it. Like, it's quite... Well, I mean, they kept all those fucking shitey gameplay mechanics for a starter. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Andy, one thing that you would like about these remasters is I think when we've brought up LucasArts, a couple of times you have mentioned pixel hunting and how ah. you, you don't like that. The remasters, I think if you hold in the shift key, it literally just highlights everything on screen that you can interact with. That's decent. So sometimes in these old games, like something would really look like part of the background as if you couldn't do anything with it, and then actually you could pick it up or use it for a puzzle or something like that. No, it would highlight that and be like, you can use it. So I try not to do that too much because I didn't want to play it like fucking baby mode. But every so often you get to a point and you're like, like fuck, what can I actually do here? <laughs> then hold it in. So it's, it's quite nice to be able to just flick in between as well. What do you yeah. for sticky keys? <laughs> oh, big time. <laughs> Knuckles versus a Pokemon all over again. Oh, no, um, man. <laughs> um, so playing it, 
I didn't really find that there was many um, kind of really clever puzzles or anything that like, particularly stood out to me. I think it was it was more the um, uh, the kind of presentation that kind of brought me brought me back to it. Like, I thought it was like a you know really cool sort of unique world kind of kind of elements of sci-fi elements of post-apocalypse. The cutscenes and the voice acting are undoubtedly the best thing about it. Aye, the, the voice acting, as you said. There's also, um, uh, Maureen is played by um, We Fact for Andy. Same person that played Sa- Sally in uh, Adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog. Also Lola Bunny. <laughs> she voiced her famously. She's a, she's a fucking very fit. I think she might be on Futurama as well. She's in Kath, fucking... Kath Susie. Hunters of Hings, aye. Yeah. The story is basically that um, it does kind of this... One company basically that makes um, all these motorbikes, um, and this kind of guy is trying to, I think, Rip Burger is that the name of the body? As he's trying to sort of take over from this uh, older guy who's a CEO who was like a former Hells Angel himself, a former he's, biker. Um, Malcolm Corley. It's Corley Motors, so it's it's a very thinly veiled. This is Harley. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's trying to, um, you know, well, he, he basically he offs. Um, old Corley and he's trying to take over the company and make them build minivans um, and of course you as a, as a proud biker wants to stop him I mean was there any of the kind of like puzzles or particular sections that, that stood out for you or was it more the, the whole kind of experience you reckon? I don't know if this is infamous because people like it or because people don't like it <laughs> but I, I like the bunnies I thought the bunny puzzle was funny <laughs> I thought it was a cool um, like cool Concept and no great execution. So, so yeah, you pick up a box of these automated fucking bunny toy things that like yeah. hop about. Much like sometimes you see guys fucking, I guess in the pre-pandemic times where they've been selling on the fucking street. You know, like little dogs that would backflip and things like that. Yeah. So you can you pick up a box of these bunnies, and then the idea is that you let them out over a minefield. Um, and then a bunny explodes so you know that a mine's there so you can <laughs> safely walk on that but I think the thing it gets people is that you tip out the box of all 12 of them and then you just your first instinct is just to let them all go yeah. see what happens and that'll show you where the mines are but no what you're supposed to do is drop all 12 of them pick up 11 let one explode walk to that bit yeah, let another one out <laughs> then wee bit further wee bit further wee bit further but I don't know, I, I kind of got it without looking at a walkthrough and it made me smile. <laughs> yeah, I kind of got, got there eventually with it as well, but I think everyone, yeah, everyone falls into that. Everyone falls into that trap. That's half a battle with your Neddy game. If you like it, then, you know, it makes Neddy a, a lot um, easier to talk about your game. Um, if you don't like it, then obviously you've got to fill a segment with a lot of shit you don't like. Um, I don't know how many times I've done that, but um, it seems that Full <laughs> Throttle was not one of these times for you. <laughs> Do you know what? Do you know, I played Full Throttle through at the end, so there was nay, there was a couple of par- points where I get frustrated, I think, where I couldn't work out what the game's logic, the, what the game wanted me to do, but you encounter that in adventure games sometimes. I, I had to look up a walkthrough maybe three or four times, I think, but... In terms of your, your LucasArts canon, Full Throttle isn't one of the greats. It's one of the goods, I think. Uh, um, yeah, I was I was kind of thinking that as well, like where I would rate it. I'd maybe put it in, this, in the same kind of bracket as Fate of Atlantis and uh, Sam and Max. I think Day of the Tentacle and Monkey Island 1 and 2 would go above it for me. But I think it's better than Loom 
in the dig at least Big time What is the consensus on Sam and Max here of interest? It's one we don't really mention that much But I had a double pack Day the technical Sam, Sam and Max, Max And Day the technical was always the one I went back to with. I actually probably wouldn't have put Sam and Max hit the road as mid-tier that's it, it's not top but it's closer to top for me yeah I really like it I've not played it in a long time I remember really liking it but uh, I kind of worry that it might not might not stand up to scrutiny maybe that's a, a future <laughs> a future game for one of these aye well I'll take a note of that to maybe get it back on the podcast give you that for a future episode but um, final thoughts on full throttle or if you're looking for an entry point into point and click adventure games I don't think this is necessarily the best one for that. But if you have not played it and you're already into this as a fucking genre, if you know what you're strapping yourself in for, fucking get involved because it's a really fucking charming game. The puzzles, as Mick was saying, there's nothing that clever. And there are a couple of drawn-out parts, like the fucking bike bit and the demolition derby bit that kind of drone on a wee bit. But ultimately, it's probably going to charm you more than it's going to annoy you. So yeah, it's, it's well worth checking out if you are an adventure game heed. I've got a final wee fact for you, just to rip straight for Wikipedia. No, no proper research required. You mentioned Psychonauts earlier on, which is, you know, this kind of platformer with certain sections set um, kind of inside people's brains. The whole concept of that stemmed from a, a cut section of Full Throttle, where uh, Ben takes peyote and goes on a psychedelic trip. Fuck, man. I think I'm taking two points off full throttle for them cutting that out of the game. <laughs> Seriously? A, it would have been a quite different game. <laughs> it would have been well better. Um, but uh, Psychonauts, by the way, is one that could potentially be an Andy Mack game in future. Wink, wink. Oh, um, right, well, moving on to what I think might be a Neddy first. I don't believe that we have had a TurboGrafx-16 game on the podcast yet, have we? don't think so. So this this is the first. Keith Courage, to get its full title, that would be... Keith Courage and Alpha Zones. Keith Courage and Alpha Zones. Andy, please tell us why you picked Keith Courage and Alpha Zones for McCormick. So I listen to a podcast, and it's a guy that runs a independent game store in America, in San Diego, and he always talks about his game. Apparently, he's a big Graphics 16 kid, and um, I've always wanted to kind of bring TurboGrafx-16 into Neddy because we always focus on the big Sega, big hitters, um, the Nintendo big hitters and uh, PS2, things like that. But um, we've never actually looked at kind of a PC engine or TurboGrafx-16. So I thought this would be a good opportunity to start. And I picked this one because this is actually the game that comes with the TurboGrafx-16 in America. It's the kind of third console of that generation. It's kind of the Partic Thistle of the 16-bit era, the, the uh, old TurboGrafx-16. <laughs> and it's interesting because it, it, at the time it was all cartridges. There's, they've tried to change it up, um, the, the video game medium um, this time. Media, sorry, this time. And that it never came in a CD or a... A cartridge the games came on these wee funny looking cards aye and there was a I don't know if this was Japan only as well but there was a there was a handheld right there was a PC engine handheld that played the same fucking cards that would have gone into your Turbo Graphics 16 ah that's pretty cool uh, it's an interesting wee system and it's sort of uh, it's a halfway point between a, it, well apparently it's a halfway point between sort of Master System Nintendo um, 8-bit consoles and the more advanced kind of Mega Drive and, and Super Nintendo. But 
I've looked at it and it seems to be, well, I don't know if this is right, I know you've played uh, Keith Courage more than me, but... <laughs> you've not played that at all. <laughs> no, but I hear this guy talking about it constantly and it's the only TurboGrafx 16 game that I can probably tell you all about just because the <laughs> uh, podcast guy talks about it. But it's sprite work, man, seems to be up there with it. 16-bit consoles, but the backgrounds in TurboGrafx 16 games often seem to be sort of either blue or black. <laughs> weird. Yeah, this, um, as, as Andy was saying, it was a, kind of, a pack-in game for the TurboGrafx 16, so they were trying to get it out um, around at the same time the, the Sega Mega Drive was coming out. And um, So you had your Sega Mega Drive, and that was packaged with Alter Beast, right? A classic, you know, you, you know it for the arcades, you know, you've seen it in action, you've loved it. Um, and now you get to play it at home. Um, so, but fuck, what we're we going to package with Turbo Graphics 16? Well, there's this uh, anime adaptation um, of an anime that's never been released in America. Um, so we're going to um, we're going to take that um, and we're going to yeah we're going to show everyone uh, key courage and alpha zones so you can what? kind of see you know why um, why Just one console maybe maybe did a bit better during the wars. Just to, to interject a wee bit, I take it the anime is they called Keith Courage and Alpha Zones. This is just a, a westernised name. Do you know anything about the anime at all? <laughs> I just like, I, I can't even get over the name of this game. It's such a, even saying it like is <laughs> Keith Courage and Alpha Zones, it's a, it's a fucking terrible title. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's based off a, a mecha anime called Spirit Hero Wataru or Mashin Ayuden Wataru, uh, which. <laughs> Um, I don't know very much about it. I know it's about, I think it's a, a, a wee boy that transforms into a mech and, and fights evil. The um, box, right? The box is very reminiscent. Oh, the boxer, yeah. It's a very, it's very reminiscent. <laughs> Sorry, let me say that again. Very reminiscent of a Neddy favourite. Um, the old Mega Man. Oh, man. It looks like that, but it looks like that. No, I was thinking uh, fucking uh, Girls and Ghosts, man. Oh. Like just that pure oh, in the fucking front of the box, you know what I mean? Like fucking I have the power. Like uh, that Argian guy, what was his name again? Uh He Man. Kinda like He Man a wee bit. <laughs> it is, yeah, he's got a, a very kind of He Man esque um, expression. <laughs> Interestingly, because I, ju- I had to go into Google Images when you said that, the Western box looks like a kind of shitty poor man's He-Man. Um, <laughs> the Japanese box art is well better. It, it oh, looks just, it's just like a fucking anime, and it, it looks class. <laughs> the game is possibly the most Japanese thing I've ever seen, but they've, t- they've, they've basically decided to rip all that out. The, the, the kind of cutesy main character has been replaced in the front of the box by, as you said, something that looks like uh, like He-Man holding a fucking glowing sword and fighting Satan. <laughs> and they've, they've completely changed the storyline. Um, so I'll just kind of read you a section for the, the manual here. Your Keith Courage, struck by a giant meteor, the world has been invaded by strange creatures from another planet. Burrowing deep within the Earth's surface, the planet of BAD, brackets, beastly alien dudes, seeks to take over the world. As a member of NICE, brackets, nations of international citizens for Earth, your mission is to defeat BAD and bring peace back to the world. Um, I'm certain that's not the story of the anime. <laughs> um, <laughs> the anime will be about him fucking trying to freeze sister's ghost so that he can marry the fucking concept of time and space or something like that. Like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like 900 episodes long and they, they kills God and a giant robot. Um, but, um, yeah, so the game starts, as, as I said, you're, um, you're playing as this um, incredibly sort of cutesy platformer mascot and you're walking around a kind of 
Japanese looking um, little village, you know, loads of, loads of bamboo, wee huts. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't look like Keith Courage at all, let me put it that way. Um, and it's quite a sedate kind of platformer, I guess, like um, maybe something like uh, uh, Alex Kidd. Um, and you're kind of walking around, killing bad guys, collecting some coins, um, and you can use those to buy different things. There's um, upgrades. You can buy kind of bombs. You can buy extra extra lives and stuff like that. So this is this is got your kind of very very shallow end of the pool action RPG stuff like uh, Wonder Boy and Monster World or whatever you call it. Ah, uh, yeah, Wonder Boy is probably probably a better comparison. Um, so yeah, it wasn't really what I was expecting, you know, with. Big, big Keith on the front of the box. I was expecting something a bit more balls to the wall, but um, yeah, pr- pretty chilled in your, your usual kind of cycle of um, levelling up, you know, getting more health, buying things and that. Bit of light platforming. I was quite enjoying it, but then you get to the end of the first level and you get transported to this kind of dark alien world and you're in a fucking Gundam. Um, oh. <laughs> it's, so it's kind of like two different games kind of slammed together you know you get a very chill and cutesy platformer but then you've got these mech sections where you get to kind of use all the um the power-ups and stuff that you've bought in the in the previous stages ah so when you're the wee boy version of keith you are running about collecting coins and doodads or whatever and that allows you to buy fucking boosters and more powerful guns and stuff for your mech is that right Ah, exactly you can buy like more powerful swords um, ah. You can, yeah, like get extra lives, and there's these wee project bomb projectiles, and um, you need to load up in those. Um, so yeah, I quite like that sort of um, th- that contrast. When you're you're playing in the kind of mech sections, it's much faster paced, much more action orientated, almost like in a poor man's ghouls and ghosts, um, oh, yeah. actually actually platformer. But I like the, the presentation in those sections is quite cool. Like it's good, good kind of music. It's more, more like Nez kind of music, I would say, but it's quite kind of. Crunchy bit of sounding, and yeah, like the the mech is, itself was pretty cool. Some pretty nice baddies as well, like interesting sprite work in the baddies. Um, my favourite is this mech that kind of walks about, and it's like a giant uh, revolver with legs, <laughs> and it just kind of chases you about, chases you about, and shoots you. It does um, sound quite Japanese. Uh, it's um, incredible Japanese. I can't stress how Japanese this game about Keith Courage is. So, um, <laughs> one, of, one of the things that's coming to mind when I'm listening to you is, I don't know why, and I've not got a great deal of familiarity with the turbo graphics. You, you were able to download a couple of the games on the Wii Virtual Console, yeah. which me and Aaron did just because we were fascinated, because we fucking, who the fuck knew what a turbo graphics 16 was? For some reason, I've got it in my head that... Does this game get, like, really, really, really fucking hard after, like, three levels? Yeah, I, I was finding it quite easy <laughs> up until, I think, maybe about three or four levels where you get to, like, one end of level boss and it's fucking just getting insane amounts of life. Like, it's just a, a sort of kind of flying boss that swoops down on you. But I had kind of gone into a rhythm of, like, you know, um, hitting him when he ducks down, like, moving over at the corner of the screen and going back again and repeating that. And that would have been fine if you did it maybe... Six to eight times, but I think you had to hit about fifty times. <laughs> By which point, I'd kind of lost lost all patience. So yeah, the difficulty kind of kind of ramps up. But it's cool that you can you know do the, the classic RPG thing of getting a bit stronger, getting a better weapon, and um, gives you a bit more a a fighting chance. Um, I like the so, tune. Yeah. I like the tune when you level up when you go turn into the uh, mech. Aye. 
Yeah, it's a pretty kind of <laughs> sort of fanfare. Um, it kind of gets you gets you going. Ah, it's pretty cool, man. Go back to the kind of Turbo Graphics sixteen. Like this was kind of considered to be the first sort of console of the sixteen bit generation. Although it actually wasn't a sixteen bit console technically because it had an eight bit processor. Um, but it was more powerful than you know, and it really came before it. More powerful than S and the, the Master System. It kind of pushed more colours than that. Was bits no just all kind of fucking shit chat anyway? Or did Atari no bring out a console and say it was like thousands? Sixty-four. Jaguar. <laughs> no, but I think it it kind of died out, didn't it? It has a technical meaning. It's basically like the processor kind of like communicates with the software with words that are eight bits longer, sixteen bits longer, thirty-two bits longer, whatever. But so that just was a number that people latched onto. They thought Merbits is better. Nowadays we've kind of settled on sixty-four. Like your your PC is going to have a six, sixty-four bit sort of um, CPU, and like there's not really any point in them being any bigger than that. But um, I it, it, at the time like it didn't it didn't even particularly oh. particularly matter. But it was maybe got right out of hand. They yeah. got out of hand. I remember yeah. Sega came out and saying the Dreamcast one hundred and twenty-eight bit. It was fucking, wasn't it? It was nothing to do with 128 bits. Oh, was that, um, I don't know, was that, I didn't realise Eugene Acker was for Fife. (laughs) (laughs) Dreamcast, eh? 128 bits. You can, that fucking Dreamcast, 128 bits, eh? I really liked that um, advert campaign they did with the Proclaimers, man, it was pretty innovative. (laughs) Yes, this um, as I was saying, it was it was it was trying to kind of pip um, Sega and Nintendo at the post, but you know it didn't really have a very impressive launch. I think it did all right in Japan. Um, a lot of kind of shows on that. Um, Big in Japan. Did pretty well in Japan, but um, yeah, it was when it launched in America with with the bold Keith as a pack-in title. <laughs> don't get I don't think it captured many people's imaginations. But like a few of those consoles, it was kind of it was in search of a. A mascot for a while, you know. Let's say um, the Mega Drive was originally packaged with Ultra Beast, but then as soon as Sonic came out, it was it was packaged with uh, it was Sonic the Hedgehog. In TurboGrafx 16, eventually get packaged with uh, Bonk, who is their kind of little caveman oh, mascot guy. I had actually heard of Bonk before. Yeah. Right, I like Bonk. Right, a box cool that. But see if you're competing with like Mario and Sonic, you know, you're fucked, aren't you? You can't you can't turn up with Bonk, can you? Aye. Well, I think, I mean, if they'd launched with Bonk rather than Keith Courage, it might have fared a wee bit better. Cause it's not a bad wee game, it's quite charming. It's Bonk like a Mr. Mackey looking wee cunt with a skirt on. Caveman, he's a baby. Ah, he's right, a, aye, he's aye, a caveman aye. baby. Aye, aye. Ah, man, you know me, Mega Drive, not. Uh, he just he runs about he runs about heat on people. That's, that's basically his power. Um, I think the power ups do different things to his heat, a wee bit like certain dynamite hey, heady. Hey. No, <laughs> he's not got that Chuck Rock ability. They're playing a band at a title screen. Of gaming's cavemen, <laughs> you know, he's he's probably one of the worst to be honest. He's got st- st- pretty stiff competition, I would say. I wouldn't leave see... Bonk. I wouldn't leave Bonk in a room with Chuck Rock's guitarist. <laughs> Speaking of cavemen, have you ever seen that Disney cartoon, uh, Looney Tunes cartoon? I think it was Daffy Duck for like the 1930s, and he ends up like a caveman ends up battling Hitler on that. <laughs> Oh no, right. So it's Andy Andy's made his way onto Allied propaganda when he was when he stoned. Which I guess is I, I guess it's a step in the right direction. Um, Not a whole lot more to say about um mashing Ayudin Wataru, which I'm gonna call it for now on, because I don't want to say Keith Courage and Alpha Zones anymore. And by the way, like 
what even is that the grammar of that title like you know is he is it like is it like Alpha Zones starring Keith Courage or is it like Keith Courage finds himself in in some Alpha Zones I don't uh, I don't why? know that, uh, it's it's a, a translation problem it's like remember when Knuckles had ownership of this his chaotics and all that with apostrophes and all that. <laughs> it's the same sort of idea infamous apostrophe but I've got to say man see the PC engine uh, that was released in uh, Japan uh, it's a totally different design I've got to say, man, I'm, I'm digging this fucking design, the PC engine. Kind of looks like a Game Boy a wee bit. Probably a bit of an underrated console. Like, I think it, it does actually, despite having an 8-bit processor, like, it holds its own kind of technical specs. It could push a lot of sprites and a lot of colours and that. Some of the games did look pretty good. See, mm. I think one of the big draws of the PC mm. engine back in in Japan, they did really bottom here, was, do you know how with the Mega Drive and the Master System... There was a real push for fucking shit-hot arcade ports. Aye. And nobody mm. really gave a fuck about arcade ports here. I think the TurboGrafx-16 or the PC engine in Japan was something for arcade purists. Aye. It's known for its shooters. It's got, yeah, it's got a real exactly aggression of R-type and that sort of thing. Uh-huh. I, think, I think for that reason, if you were a fucking big arcade team, didn't you go into your game centres and all that, you would be into your TurboGrafx. Aye, whereas American and European audiences are looking for a, a cute mascot platformer and that's probably not best served for Double Graphic 16. Well, the Japanese market works completely different from the Western market. Um, well, different games that did back in. Different tastes, I suppose. But I, I was going in with not very high expectations, but I was mildly kind of pleasantly surprised. You know, it's enjoyable enough. The kind of main sort of RPG platformer loop was pretty fun. I think that the level design maybe lets it down a wee bit. The level design in the mech stages is a bit kind of um, all over the place, like not much inventive platforming or anything going on, just kind of running for A to B and killing a few monsters. But aye, it's enjoyable enough, um, and it gets a, a point, um, I imagine, from Mick because it contains uh, a lucky cats uh, at a certain level. Actually, one of the more difficult villains uh, in the game. Well, you got to destroy them. Yeah, they fly through there, um, and then as soon as they get to the same uh, location as you, they, they drop down on top of your head, and you've got oh, to destroy I like them. That. Um, but they drop a lot of coins. You know, obviously, lucky cats are um, a symbol of uh, prosperity, so you can get quite a lot of money from uh, from smashing the lucky cats. Right. So the name Keith comes from a Scottish surname. Obviously, uh, it means wood, forest, or from the battleground. Ah. So uh, just to sign off on this uh, segment. Who is everybody's favourite Keith? <laughs> oh, uh, it's got to be Keith Chegwin, I think. <laughs> uh, I thought about Cheggers first, but uh, there was a glaring, a glaring Keith that really jumped out at me. Got to be Moon for you, Andy, innit? Oh, I got another good shout. I, know, I, I love me a bit of Keith Moon, but um, a bit more, well, let's go a bit more modern than that. I've got to go with Keith Flint. God rest his soul, R.I.P. Survivor of the rave scene. Brought rave into the indie scene. Can I beat him? What a dancer. What a fucking hairdo. Aye. R.I.P. Keith. Shout out to the real Keith Courage, man. <laughs> Aye. <laughs> it was the 90s Johnny Rotten. <laughs> well, well fuck is it. He didn't. <laughs> Johnny Rotten lived long enough to see himself become the villain, unfortunately. Ah, I know. Fuck That's Johnny nice, Rotten, man. man. Ah, John Lydon's a... He's a new man, fuck's sake. I know, I know, I know, I know. But, fucking brilliant music. Can it be Metalbox? Right. <laughs> well, that brings us on a facade... Do the reason I picked this, this game first hit the fucking internet, I think in the late 2000s, I believe it was developed in 2006, but I think after the back of forums I heard people talking about it and I was like, I, I need to see this because 
with some people going, this is like, this is the future, this is like nothing you've, you've ever seen before, what these indie developers have done with this game. So I played it and I found it more kind of weird and funny. Me and Aaron fucked about with it loads. <laughs> um, and then it got a resurgence of popularity with YouTubers playing it. Like fucking the big Nazi himself, PewDiePie. He played it on his channel and all of that. So that kind of gave it more prominence again. Kind of brought it back into the public eye. I thought it was... Andy's got a, a notion sometimes for the abstract in video games. <laughs> like... um talking about that Dreamcast game, Seaman and things like that. Oh, that's so, a good one. So I thought, um, I, I thought I would just be interested to hear your thoughts on Facade, and Aye. you can maybe try and explain what it is and what, what, what it's about. And... Spo- spoilers for my opinion, but I would call it less abstract and more upsetting. Mm. <laughs> mm. Ah, it's, it's a bit full on. Um, <laughs> ah, <laughs> but uh, it's, uh, it's for the school of surrealism. And it's uh, got the weird music, the weird situation, the weird social right. interactions. But unintentional. I think that's unintentional, yeah. Is it? Nah, Aye. it can't be. It is. So, that's, so this is meant to be like a straightforward like, sim of going to see your pal. Basically, you go to a middle class couple's house and you're supposed to be their friend and they're having relationship problems. But the catch is, rather than picking responses a la a dialogue tree as a stand-up in gaming, you would be able to type in your responses in real time and the, thought, the thinking being that these characters would react to them yeah. and they would have a bank of thousands and thousands of different words, sentences and things like that that you could input and that they would seemingly understand and then the night could play out in various different ways depending on your inputs. Uh, there's a lot of complex stuff going on under the surface. There's meant to be a showcase of this sort of AI system, as well as it being able to understand your words. It was also like the character's emotions and like what the character knows and would, would hear would kind of affect the story and stuff like that. It was meant to be a very sort of... It was meant to be like a play, I guess, but in kind of interactive video game form. Well, I found that a, a haunting kind of fucking surrealist <laughs> David kind of fucking yeah. drama. I mean, definitely, definitely, it comes across that way now, which is one of the most interesting things about it, I guess. So you jump the door, or you don't jump the door. He opens the door and goes, "You check, you pick your name at the very start, and it's very weird to hear somebody come to the door and saying, Andrew, hello there.'" <laughs> and you go in, and the main character's name is Trip, and apparently used to go way back, and he just wants you to come up and visit him and his missus. You get to the door, and I think he knows Grace at this point, Mick. I'm not too sure. I don't know if he's been introduced to Grace, has he? Before this game? Aye, yeah, he introduced him. He introduced the aye. two of them and then they, they became a couple. It's three years of pals because. Fuck, aye, that's right, that's right. Aye, you introduced the two of them. You can be a. Because you can be a lassie character as well. You, the name you pick kind of defines your fucking gender at the start of the game. So it's no that you're one guy going to visit your other guy pal and his missus just happens to be in. You're, you're both their pal. Ah, right. Well, I've played it with I've played it with wrong Well, I've, I've actually watched Andy play this on stream and he was playing it as if him and Trip were having a conversation and then Grace would interject and he would type things in like, away you to bed. <laughs> we're, we're just sitting up having a drink in that. It's like, oh God. Nice bit of West of Scotland sexism in your fucking... <laughs> well, we, we are going, it was... Um, I walked in, he was obviously at the facade, and you know right away, man, or something fucking not right. And I'm sure we've experienced it to some extent in real life when you go into, like, a, 
a friend's house. Maybe your friends were both the both the the areas of the relationship, and yeah, it's very awkward because. They share you as a friend in common, and you share them as a friend in common, but they share each other as fucking partners. So there's a weird kind of dynamic, and it can't really be resolved in any way, so it just becomes pure awkward. And that's what Ash is like. Well, their, um, their relationship's kind of going through a rocky patch, um, and you are kind of like stuck in the middle of this drama, <laughs> which is like, we've, we've all been there, that's an awkward situation, you know what I mean? If we're, like, you're the third wheel and a couple's having an argument, you feel terrible, man. This, this, game, like, this game gives you that feeling. See when a couple's having an argument and they're in house, right? And, you're there, and, then, and then they turn around and go, ah, is that, so that's right, isn't it, Andy? That's right, isn't it, Mick? She'll come around all of a sudden and be like, so, Andrew, if you love someone... Shouldn't you encourage them to follow their dreams? And then you tell them, Fuck knows, I don't know what. They want your validation. But you can't play this game with Titan like, don't bring me into this. But, um, nah, yeah, I just, I just walked in, obviously, what, asking Trip about the football and I was asking if he still played for. Ask him if he still trained with Kelly and I. went over to Windy, nice view to Windy and that, and they're trying to get my attention, and I knew there was going to be a fight, and I'm just trying to, like, soften it up, asking about the art in the living room and all that, and I can, uh, but she would just fucking shut up, man, she kept going on and on and on, <laughs> trying to fire into his and that, and fucking, Trip's fucking making us a drink, I go over, he wants to show us his wee, kind of, picture of um, where he was in Italy and all that, and I was just trying to, kind of, find a common room with him, and she, she is behind me again, she fucking asking me things and that, and I'm like, ah, look, Right, look, man. Uh, Trips pulling us a wee drink here. Do you mind uh, kind of fucking off? Just like even for, even for a wee hour, and then she just fucking goes and stones at the other end of the room. Go back to talking to Trip again. Turn the room. She's there again, again behind me. Yeah, very <laughs> fucking terrifying me. Actually, there's something about that, lassie. There's an interesting thing in it where the nature of their argument and you know what what's kind of getting between them is different depending on playthrough. There's some kind of variable that's random each time. Um, a common one is that Grace wants to be an artist, but he got her a job in fucking marketing or something and she resents him for it. That one seems to come up quite a lot. There's another one where Trip is ashamed of these working-class parents. But you can also uh, get things like um, one of them's having an affair or that Trip is gay is one that can come up sometimes. <laughs> uh, I forget that. Um, I don't that one. It's not randomised. I think it's, it's supposed to be that the things you say can kind of lead the conversation one way or the other. It like it, there is actual clever stuff going on underneath, but it's it's hard to tell sometimes because it struggles. It's the understanding your words and your sentences, but that that isn't very good, and that can no. get a bit frustrating. Yeah. Like you, so, it, it's meant to be like you know you're having a conversation with these people, but a lot of the time you say something and they just completely blank <laughs> or like uh, you know, you pre- pretend pretend you didn't say that. <laughs> There's a, 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 a video game YouTuber that I quite like called Brutal Moose and he covered Facade on like a fucking really out video and he demonstrated that you could get the good ending in the game a good ending being they talk through a lot of their issues you don't get chucked out their house <laughs> they stay together and say we're going to work through it we're going to save our marriage thank you Andrew for, for saving our marriage or blah 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 but literally he just typed in yes over and over again. <laughs> yes. Anytime they said something, yes. Good and ending. That, I got him a good ending. Ah, oh, there you go. Just being a good, just being a good listener, you know. Good, good life game, skill. Uh, 
first game's kind of unique in that uh, I used to like create the end game, the end game in your heat to a certain extent. Like, it's an open space, I like the open space and being able to look about and be able to investigate the house and all that. But um, in terms of interactivity, uh, I think the, the intention is that you're not meant to really know what to do. You're not really meant to know what to do next. Uh, <laughs> even the installation's fucking strange in this game. It took about fucking three quarters of an hour. And, uh, <laughs> Individual text files and all that. Fucking fuck. Aye, it's, it's kind of it's, it's made as a kind of university project, I think. Like, so it's not got a whole lot of polish. Um, but I quite I quite like what you were saying about about not knowing what to do. Like, it's if you imagine yourself in that situation, like you can do you can do all the things that you would do. Like, I'm just going to pretend to look at the art, or I'm just going to sit on my couch with a drink. Like. I know. I don't. I don't know about you guys, but like, if if I was in that situation, I'd be doing anything to avoid that conversation. <laughs> Just like I don't. I don't. But see, when I play it, the biggest barrier for it for me is that it was interesting watching Andy play it because you were saying that you didn't like um, being too rude to them. You weren't deliberately ever trying to get kicked out of their house and stuff like that. Whereas for me, I get bored watching them arguing that. So I just start typing in cunt fuck shit boys and <laughs> like try to kiss both of them repeatedly and things like that. And then eventually Trip goes, all right, Michael, I think it's time that you left and like, <laughs> chucks you at their house. I always, I'm, I'm, I just want to push the parameters of this as far as they can go when I play it. I just want to see what the game will let me do. <laughs> I think we've come to a, an important realisation here is that this game maybe kind of tells you something about yourself <laughs> when you're playing oh, it because yeah, like you mentioned that you you were playing it and like you really sympathised with Trip and you didn't go on the grace at all like, I didn't particularly like either of them gotta be honest oh. like, they both wound me up a bit I didn't think either of them were in the right I thought they were just kind of both snapping at each other for sort of legit reasons but I don't guess your uh, mileage maybe right player. Aye, uh, it depends how you go into it, I suppose. I mean, Trip, I fell out remember, because he wouldn't give me a drink. He said he was going to give me one. He spent the rest of the time talking about himself, and he wouldn't fucking <laughs> part with his wine. And he was actually walking about with his fucking wine. And then, <laughs> on and on and on and on, I was sitting listening to that shit, and then they fucking asked me to leave. I'm sitting down like, I've never fucked my drink. <laughs> Got my heavy hod back, and I think they fell out. I've not spoken to Trip since. <laughs> I like doing a wee bit of, you know, what would you do in this situation? So after Trip made me the drink, I took a couple of gulps at it, and then I started going, you fucking pair of 1% bastards. And what in class are going to bathe in your blood, you fucking <laughs> bourgeoisie pricks? Like, I, they did both kind of wind me up. Like my kind of, my, my inner communist was getting more and more angry at them. Like, I've noticed this, it seems to be a kind of common theme, like in um, film in drama and stuff like that is like a, a story about a kind of maybe a, a middle class couple going through problems but like their middle classness was, was annoying me like it was like oh boohoo I live in this lovely fucking flat in New York and I've got this art but I'm, I'm sad because I can't pursue my dreams like you know it's, it's not a real problem is it <laughs> like come on you're not worrying where your next meal is coming from I can't sympathise with you too much I, there's there's a point where she goes, do you know that piece of artwork on the wall? I actually painted that because I'm an artist and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> quite quite I, a marketing uh, job then, why, why are you telling me? Who gives a fuck? There was no sort of, there was no interaction with the Christmas tree with no bubbles on it, which I was pretty upset about. <laughs> <laughs> can, can, 
Ikeatio Bomontas. If it's not December, I'm, I'm out of here. Definitely, he's missed his time, man, anyway. Oh, come on. <laughs> Red card. You're listening to the Neckbeard Fedora Hour podcast, <laughs> where we, uh, we make menstruation jokes. <laughs> well, we make worry jokes, eh? Trips, trips are hard <laughs> too, man. Trip, trip likes the odd uh, bitchy comment as well. You know, he's not, he's not in this party at all. I can't see their relationship lasting. He's holding his kind of uh, his wealth and his wealthy family over her head. Uh, I can't see their relationship lasting long. I mean, uh, I, I suppose, and when I was really stoned one night, I kind of tried to make my concept in my head, and uh, I was looking at house, and it didn't look like home or like a family home. It was no. it sort of faded away. white. Yeah. See, at the very start when we were talking about this, how you said that it was obviously a work of surrealism. Mm. What what makes it come across like this to us, do you think? Like there's something quite grotesque about the graphical style, like their faces and the facial expressions they make when they're reacting to you and stuff. There is something very off about everything. It's that kind of uncanny valley effect, isn't it? Like I think it's their their facial expressions are just a wee bit wrong with like the the cadence of their speech, I think, like they kind of they pause between words and sentences in a way that's very and they, unnatural. They stand up, they stand up and stare at you. you know? <laughs> the, the soundtrack is very creepy, and also um, it kind of gives you the same vibe as the Red Room for Twin Peaks, man. <laughs> and that nothing, something's off. Don't know what it is. It's not exactly you walking in. So oh, how you doing? I sit doing that. What you just want? Something off. Aye, <laughs> right, man. PH balances off, man. I mean, <laughs> something not right. And as well, like, yeah. in, in, probably not non-intentional, probably because of the, the limited budget, you know, there's not a whole lot of stuff uh, in the house, there's not a whole lot of texture to it, but aye, that's, the, the, whole, the blankness of all is very, is quite unsettling as well. <laughs> Mick, did, did you not turn up at your house and they were on the end? <laughs> man, right, so there was something, there was something bizarre when I tried to stream this, for some reason, when I when I was running that, what what do you call that streaming program? Um, OBS or something like that. When I was running that, it made facade no work. So you would go up and knock a door, and nobody answered. So it was really creepy. I was just on in the that's, corridor. That's terrifying. Like, for just um, it still played the creepy music and stuff like that, and it didn't end until I just went and pressed the button for the lift. <laughs> And then it said, like, the end or whatever. And I tried to trick it. I got into their house and they were chatting. And as soon as I ran the OBS thing, they just stopped talking abruptly. <laughs> and then, but they kept staring at me. Their eyes were following me about the room. Talk about, um, talk about surrealism, man. Imagine one day you put up Mario 64, right? And there was nearly a for Princess Peach and you just didn't get allowed in the castle. Like, oh, it's, oh, it's so yeah. disturbing. I just got a picture based on my playthrough that Grace was sitting in the corner, bloodstained man, eating fucking trips liver. <laughs> in, in silence. While uh, a small man was dancing, talking backwards. We are Masonic flair, no. Trip, did you know I wanted to be an artist? <laughs> yeah, by the way, Twin Peaks is class. Apart from a few, a few episodes of the second series, but it turns out, hey, uh, home and away. <laughs> uh, no, it's all, it's, it's all good. You are incorrect. There is no bad episodes <laughs> of Twin Peaks. Um, prequel movie is amazing. The Return, 25 years later, still I've fucking amazing. It's, well, 
You're a, you're a fake fan, Andy. Get it watched. <laughs> I need to see a third, a third series. Apparently, it's completely different concept. No. Oh, right, okay. Watch Firewalk with me as well if you've not seen it. The prequel film about uh, the night Laura Palmer gets killed. I've only seen the daily ones, but I'll watch that. I'll watch that. Get on it. Maybe while you've had a couple of joints and you're uh, play a couple of, couple of games of facade and then get into a big David Lynch marathon. <laughs> Do you want to give us some final thoughts on facade? Spooky. <laughs> Very fucking spooky. <laughs> um, no. It's a. Uh, ah! Total left field, this is actually one of my favourite ones you gave me. Because I mean I, I quite like Rocket Knight um, things like that, but um, facade, <laughs> I like okay. I like it, I like it oddness. Yeah, it's very odd, as Jimmy Savile would say. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> I like the fact that you didn't quite know what the fuck was going on, in no context to what the fuck you might have been. Um, and it was just a very strange thing. It's, um, oh. <laughs> it's like the interesting thing I find about uh, Andy's final thoughts is that everything that you seem to like about this is unintentional. <laughs> if this if this worked as the developers had intended, you probably wouldn't like it very much. <laughs> I, I, it's, it's, it's very offbeat. It's, it, you know what? I can't think of another game that's like facade. This doesn't fall into any sort of genre, does it? To be honest, it's, uh, it's very much the same thing. Very art, very art. Very art, I suppose, but it's, it's good, man. It's, it, somebody's obviously put a lot of passion into this, man. Aye. And, um, <laughs> and their intention should... just didn't translate the same way to me. I don't think. I got a twin pizza episode after. We should we should point out as well that it is a free game. Um, you go onto Google on your laptop, your PC, whatever. Type in a facade video game or something like that. You will get the web page. It's still up where you can download it and install it if you want a. If you want to see what me and the boys have gone through with this fucking creepiness, this uncanny valley, as McCormick was calling it. But you might like it, like Andy. I personally uh, love to see Andy's playthrough of it, you know, if you get any videos to share of that, because, yes. as I said, I think it, it gives a bit of an insight into somebody's soul, how they play facade. Aye, uh, Uncanny Valley, it's... Right. The kind of, like, see him Japanese robots you get, that's just sort of, I've always been kind of in progress. Aye. See if it, the two of them were, um, two of them were in a relationship, and one had male characteristics, and one had female characteristics, but they couldn't get the nuances of human... It's quite interesting that you bring that up because there has been a drive to make robots less human again because when robots are too human appearing but they're still quite aff, the average person will look at it no matter where you are from in the world and feel just abject revulsion. <laughs> like you will hate them. They'll make you sick to your stomach. We know where that leads. Fucking Terminator. Yep. We want that. Judgment Day. Well, I mean, it would be a very fucking money Judgment Day if the Terminators <laughs> were anything like Grace and Trip. Aye. Well, that would that, just create, like, robot racism, wouldn't it? Because you wouldn't want to be around people with Grace and Trip. <laughs> well, they would be they would, a bunch of passive-aggressive robots walking about going, where are the wine glasses? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, well... We will move on then and dish out our games for next time. Aye. McCormick, I'm going to bring you back to... You gave me a Game Gear game once upon a time, which was Dragon Crystal. Yep. 
And I think on the the Sonic, oh, no. sorry, the the Sage episode, you well, were doing so well, Dave. Any Sonic reference? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it was inevitable with the end of this episode. I'm afraid. Yeah, you mentioned maybe seeing yourself as a, a tales of the group, seeing yeah. him as a wee bit of a kindred spirit. So I want to give you something that I find quite underrated. It's a wee roguelike from the Game Gear, uh, starring. Oh, it's not a roguelike, but it's a Metroidvania rather. Tales Adventure. Um, not Tales Sky Patrol, that's the shite one. Tales Adventure. <laughs> My very own adventure, nice one. Aye. Um, so, I am going to begin, Andy, the very poorly named but enjoyable PS1 action game Silent Bobber. Ah, right, very nice, very nice. I'll, I'll be right on that, but I don't eat and beat Aye. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I'm going to give um, a good man. Well, special guest. We have got a special guest coming on, friend of the show, and... Regular contributor to the show, as a matter yep. of fact. We Hero, with Rick's brother. Yep. I'm going to give him uh, Shining Force free for the sake of Saturn. A forgotten gem that will cost you about three grand if you want to play it by legal means. I might have come up a dirty wee copy. And he's playing it right now as we speak. Is this the first direct sequel to a previous Neddy game? Because we had Shining Force 2. Oh! Oh, aye, I'm fine. But that that might be, aye. Um, and that was, that was maybe like episode three or something like that. Aye, well... I, Training Force 3's got a weird story to look into it. Um, next time it's quite interesting, man. We'll be getting balls deep, and I know you've been choking to get the Saturn on the show. It's um, going to be a bit of Saturn coming up, man, for episodes. Um, and, uh, and Mick, what has Aero got for myself in, in lieu of him being here? Um, so he has got um, uh, I need to look up the name of this great game um. I, I know, I was, it was a bit of pretense there It's a, a visual novel for the DS um, Which has recently been ported to Steam and the PS4 Called uh, 999 Nine hours, nine persons, nine doors I frantically Aye. looked up um, Aye. Originally for the Nintendo DS Are you going to be playing it on the Nintendo DS? Do you know what? Sad act at arm um, this is actually quite expensive to buy on the DS, it's quite rare, but I did find a copy for about 30 quid, and I've ordered it, so I'm going to be playing it on my 3DS, because cool. I think it'll be quite good for skiving during work, just to go off and play a wee visual novel for 20 minutes here and there. <laughs> Aye. So and Andy, I'm, I'm, you can't gripe about it being, not being retro, because we have already had a DS game, so it's fair I'm, game. Yeah, DS is very retro, man. 2005, or that? Years ago. Jesus Christ. <laughs> All right. That was the year I left school. Oh, well. Aye. So, I think we shagged Trip and Grace, probably. And um, they certainly shagged us on an emotional level. <laughs> we shagged 